Welcome to the South Piedmont Community College Public Safety Leadership Development Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to present ideas and voices of experience to help develop public safety leaders in the South Piedmont community area and beyond, which is nice about a podcast. It allows us to reach well beyond our little area here. My name is Battalion Chief Rob Cannon. Today, I'm joined by Captain Tom Dicey, U.S. Navy, now retired. Captain Dicey, thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Uh, you and I were just talking a little bit before we hit the record button. This uh, podcast is going to, we center around South Piedmont Community College, which is around Monroe, North Carolina here, and Waxhaw and Wesley Chapel. And you described a, a pretty strong link here. Can you tell that, that link to the listeners? Of course. Uh, yeah, I actually consider myself uh, part of that community. My brother-in-law, Todd Haig, um, was a volunteer fire, firefighter there at Wesley Chapel. And um, tragically, he, he died um, driving the water truck. Um, and and uh, my, my wife and I, uh, we, we actually moved down there to be, be available to uh, Todd's wife, uh, Michelle, and, and his daughters, um, Chloe and Isabel. And um, we were probably in the community for about a year. And I got to know the, the team there at Wesley Chapel at the fire department and uh, the broader community at whole. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm part of, part of that uh, landscape there. Well, that's a, a, a tra- a, that's a, a tragic link, but it, uh, I did not know that before. So uh, it's a small world and glad you're able to join us here uh, in that area of the country. Um, let me describe your, your career to the listeners. Uh, you are uh, from a Navy family. Uh, you spent a, a lot of time in, uh, grew up in Maine and also in uh, Middletown, Rhode Island, Jacksonville, Florida. Graduated from high school, you went to Naval Academy Prep School. And then followed by the United States Naval Academy, where you graduated with distinction from the great class of 1990. You went on to serve as a surface warfare officer in the Navy. Your ship assignments included division officer aboard USS Halls, uh, which is a fast frigate, a guided missile frigate. Two department head tours, uh, one aboard the USS Callahan, one aboard the USS Decatur. Both of those are guided missile destroyers. Served executive officer tour aboard the USS Leyte Gulf, a guided missile cruiser. Uh, you served some staff assignments aboard the USS LaSalle and the USS Mount Whitney with the Sixth Fleet. Both of those are command ships. And then the pinnacle or the, the top of the career at sea served two commanding officer tours, one aboard the, aboard the USS Benfold, which is a guided missile destroyer, and then aboard the USS Cowpens, uh, which is a guided missile cruiser. And that had an interesting uh, wrinkle in that tour because you had to do a, a ship swap or a hull swap with the USS Antietam, uh, which is another guided missile cruiser. And during that tour, serving as an air and missile defense commander for Commander Task Force 70 and commander of the 7th Fleet. Now, that's a whole lot of Navy uh, jibber jibber. So what I want to do real quick is describe what those tours mean in sort of layman's terms. So I'm going to rely on my experience and say, that division officer tour, for those of you that are that are listening and may not be familiar, that's a, a tour where you're responsible for sort of a specific uh, function on a ship. It might be gunnery officer or anti-submarine warfare officer or electronic warfare officer. And you may be responsible for, say, 15 to 25 folks on a frigate. <clears throat> then you move up to the department head level. At, and that is, if you're to say, I believe your job was a combat systems officer, you now are in charge of four or five divisions of folks maybe you have now working for you guns 
missiles, electronic warfare, um, ASW. <clears throat> so now you're talking maybe 100 folks, 80, 80 to 100 folks. Uh, so you moved up a notch. You have a lot more responsibility. And then you move up to executive officer and then to commanding officer. And, and those two positions hold pretty, a lot of significance in the Navy. Describe the relationship there, if you will, Captain, between you can tell us what the XO and the CO do, but then, you know, command at sea stands alone sort of in the, in the world of leadership as a unique role. And you've done it twice. Uh, and, and also you can describe in there the senior enlisted advisor, because that's a, a big part of that command triad at the top of a Navy ship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Well, uh, first to address the, the XO executive officer. So, um, it's actually second in command on board a ship. Uh, almost always, there's a there's a nuance sometimes where the uh, if you have a helicopter squadron on board uh, and the the officer in charge of that of that detachment, not squadron detachment, is senior to the XO, then technically uh, that officer serves as second in, in command. But but uh, in a lot of the uh, foreign navies, they, they call the Exo Segundo. So it's number two. And uh, I think Star Trek, you'll even remember sometimes they refer to number two, right? So that's that role. Um, a cruiser is unique in the military because there's a 10-year spread. Uh, back then, there was a 10-year spread between CO and Exo. And nowhere else in the military that I know of is there such a wide gap in experience uh, between uh, the commanding officer and their second in command. So it was a good experience for me personally, because that captain, uh, Tom McGuire, he really let me as the executive officer and the department heads and the master chief run the ship. And he focused outside the lifelines and doing his things as a warfare commander. So that was a great uh, place for me to kind of uh, really stretch my legs and, and having responsibility for an entire ship uh, without having all the accountability. And I think that's probably the main thing that the, the Navy really teaches uh, uh, explicitly is responsibility and accountability and how they relate to each other and, and such. So if you move on to um, command, I, I think command of a, of a Navy ship at sea is the ultimate experience of accountability. Um, you go out to sea, you and your crew, you're out there alone. And uh, oftentimes you need to be prepared to handle all situations. And you know, you're accountable for what happens as the commanding officer, full stop. Doesn't matter the reason why, doesn't understand, you know, we all, it, People sometimes have a hard time understanding this, but if, it, if the commanding officer is asleep and the ship runs aground or has a collision, that it doesn't matter that the commanding officer was sleeping. She or he is 100% accountable for that event, period. So I think that's the, the real nuance of command at sea, especially of a ship or a submarine, is that that full level of accountability and, and autonomy that exists out there. Right. You, you go to sea and, and you have, uh, you know, you have, you essentially have a city at sea. It's a dangerous environment. 
you have weapons at your disposal, you have really tough decisions to make. I can even remember in my little, in my junior officer career, I remember watching the commanding officer uh, having to make a decision about whether we're going to proceed into a port that we didn't quite have all the navigational info we needed for. And he was under pressure from a higher command to get in there. And, he, you know, even though he's being told by higher ups to go in, you know, that ship is his and he, he's going to pay the price if there's a problem, even though the uh, some some of his uh, quote unquote bosses were putting the pressure on they, they don't hold the responsibility for that ship at that time. So that's a I think you're right. That position of accountability for a commanding officer at sea is uh, unlike any others. Um, so that thank you for that description of that. And <clears throat> moving forward a little bit into uh, diving into our conversation, taking that idea of you sort of having a, a, a city at sea almost. Um, each of those ships, you know, from your divo tour right up through your commanding officer tours, uh, you know, this uh, podcast is going to go out to a lot of first responders. Well, you have first responder forces on the ship. You've got your fire department. You've got your uh, medical department. You've got law enforcement. And, and so look back and sort of at the tactical level, tell us how did you develop excellence and, and have mission accomplishment for, for those first responder missions that, that you had to answer at sea? What were the, the techniques and the tricks? Sure. Well, you know, I had three tenants in command and one of, one of them was excellence. And I defined excellence as whatever it is you're doing, do it to the absolute best of your ability. And if you can't do that or don't want to do that, then raise your hand and tell us and say, hey, I, I, I can't be excellent in this moment for one reason or another. But if you're going to be there and you're going to accept the assignment and the responsibility, you're going to be excellent and you're going to do your absolute best. And so, you know, that, that certainly applied to the damage control team, which is our fire department, and to our, uh, you know, on my size ships, we really... I mean, we have a master at arms and a couple duty master at arms, but, but we kind of police ourselves. Right. So that's, that part of it isn't really as much in play, but then of course uh, the, the, the corpsman. So, you know, a small ship has a independent duty corpsman and that's it for medical expertise. And then like a junior corpsman that's learning the ropes, but, you know, and then typically there's one or two, sailors on board the ship that have some background. They had been EMTs before they joined the Navy or, you know, there, there's typically one or two sailors and a crew of three to 400 that can add. And that level, I mean, you want to talk about responsibility, right? That, that senior enlisted uh, who's probably about a 15 to 18 year veteran is fully accountable and responsible for the medical well-being of three to four hundred people, and, and and doesn't have a ton of resources you know, at their disposal. So, so the way we 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 approach that is, of course, for damage control because the ship it's just so serious. You know, if we have a fire at sea, one as you mentioned, we have explosives and we have fuel on board. So our our environment is one that is pretty. Uh, hazardous and high risk for if we do have a fire or something really, really bad happening, you know? And so we have to be able to put fires out quickly and it's truly an all hands effort. Um, so, you know, the Marines have this saying, every Marine a rifleman while on dicey ships, every sailor a damage controlman or every sailor a firefighter. And so, you know, we did the training, we did the drills, 
and we took it seriously and we held each other accountable. If somebody's having a bad day, you pointed it out and said, hey, your heart's not in it. Let's go get straight. This is for real. And so, you know, that that holding each other accountable and training like you fight is a big deal. And the other thing I'll say is one of the things that really has always perplexed me is how, uh, you know, Super Bowl's, what, in two days. And, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs, they work 12 to 14 hours a day, and they just drill and drill and drill and make sure they understand and study and practice and repeat. And here's my crew and I sometimes had trouble getting them to focus for a 45 minute fire drill. Right. And I, and I would point that out and I'd say, do you think, which do you think is more important? The football game that's going to be played this Sunday or the fire that we're going to have to put out at sea. And if we don't do it, we're swimming. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but, but I think that's, you know, that's the thing, you know, you have to be excellent. You have to be willing to give it your all. If your heart's not in it, don't, don't half it, you know, give it, give it your all and, and hold each other accountable, you know, <clears throat> including me, right. Or including the chief, if chief's having a bad day and, and their heart isn't in it, that's, yeah, that's where one of the senior veterans steps up and goes, Hey boss, you look like you're having a bad day and it's affecting the troops. Yeah. I love the idea of mutual accountability. That's so relevant to shipboard firefighting and shipboard safety and also to you know, the job we do as first responders, it, you know, you look at a ship very often, I think in my experience uh, having been a Navy veteran myself is the, the, uh, you really had to rely so much on even the ju- very junior personnel. You know, if you go to bed, that person who's standing watch or doing sounding and security is maybe a, a 20 year old who's uh, fresh, fresh out of boot camp, And you're relying on that person to do their job and do it well. And their job may be, you know, to, to go back and forth around that ship all night long, making sure everything's okay, kind of the, the town crier, the town watchman. But if that person doesn't do their job, it could it could sink the ship. That's uh, It's a yeah. idea teamwork and mutual accountability. So I appreciate that sentiment very much. Um, let's, you know, you, you've had a, you had a very long and successful career commanding officer tours. Uh, what can you look back and go, man, a, a leadership challenge that you faced that really stressed you or, or really took your leadership to uh to another level what did you learn from that experience what was that experience and what did you learn from it yeah i guess probably um one of the things that happened is when i when i got to calpins uh they had they had just fired my two predecessors in succession and you know when i got there the ship wasn't in a good way and there was a lot of apathy and there was a lot of, um, Hey, you know, we're out here operational. We don't need to sweat all the, the little stuff, you know, and, and, um, the the command climate just wasn't good. And it wasn't like it was, um, the whole story was that it was a toxic environment. In a lot of ways, the, the crew, appeared to be happy you know they're they're, they weren't being held to huge standards and they were kind of being allowed to do what they wanted but you know i i could it took me about five minutes to walk around the ship and know we were in trouble i mean you can just 
if you see rust, if you see um, things not greased or overly greased, I mean, there's there's immediate indicators that that and I, I'm sure the same is true in a fire station where if things aren't stowed properly or they're not clean or I mean, I just know from my own experience the way you flake out a hose. If it's not if it's not stowed properly, you're going to have a bad time getting the hose to deploy. And you can see when you walk by that it's not right. Well, does some mistakes happen? That's no big deal. But you fix it, right? You don't live with it. Oh, you know, we're going to drill anyways, and we'll flake it out, and then we'll stow it right the next time. No, you, you see something wrong, you fix it. So, uh, anyways, I had to, I you know, and the ship was stationed in Japan in Seventh Fleet, and at the time, I really felt like there was a better, I don't know if I'd say better than average, but there was a heightened risk of getting into a, into a scrape, either intentionally or as a, you know, as unintentionally, but, you know, tensions were high in the South China Sea and around the Chinese, the Japanese, you know, Southern islands and the spread. It was a tough, it was a, it's, it is today too. So I really felt like my ship extra had to be ready and we, you know, fight tonight sort of mentality and we were anything but. And I guess the, the challenges that I, you know, I look back and um, it was serious and it was high stakes, but I let my emotion get to me a few times and I responded in ways that could have been more constructive. And um, I think, you know, being a little more measured and a, I mean, you, emotion's a good thing. And, and caring is a good thing. And a sense of urgency is a great thing. But, you know, if you, if you behave in a way that others can point at you and say, well, that isn't right, they can discount everything else just off that one thing. And that's, that's hard. So you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta check yourself. And that's where you mentioned the, the senior enlisted. I mean, I think I had a, a command master chief, Mike Kazabowski, and he, and he was damage controlman by, by rate. And so a firefighter, you know, extraordinaire. And, um, you know, Matt, Master Chief was great. And he, sometimes he'd step in, <laughs> you know, it kind of uh, diffused the situation. Uh, sometimes he would, you know, let me go and then we pointed out after the fact, he was very good. And I'll tell you a quick sto sea story. This will, this will kind of, get it at it a little bit. So when we, when we take gas, right, we don't pull into a gas station and, and, you know, and, you know, swipe a credit card. We, we pump fuel at one to 2000 gallons per minute while we're underway doing 12 and a half knots at about a hundred feet away from the other ship. And you know this, but for, you know, for your, for your listeners. So this is a pretty uh, risk, high risk evolution on a good day. Uh, we were out, we were independent, we were by ourselves and we were scheduled for, for, and we'd like to keep the ship at about 65% fuel or higher so that you're always able to respond to something. So keep more than a half a tank of gas in, in your car. Right. So, uh, so we had this unwrap underway replenishment, getting gas and we were scheduled to do it. We were around 
we were right there in the in the 60s for fuel percentage and there wasn't going to be another opportunity to gas for about four or five days you burn about 10 percent a day or so right so we'd start getting low if we had to miss this one and um but the weather was up and it was tough and so uh but we had these things called mobies uh, man overboard indicator and there's these little devices that they wore on their life jackets and if they hit salt water they would go off and you know i'd know there was a sailor in the water and then it would point me to the sailor and so i'm doing this calculus in my head and trying to figure out whether or not to do this underway replenishment and um i make the i said well i got the mobies i'll i'm gonna do it so i i put you know my my crew in an increased harm's way because they're topside. It's very kind of not much different than they did it a hundred years ago <laughs> to that, you know? And, and so, you know, the sailors out there topside and they're handling lines and pulling things back and forth and it's tough, but I made this decision. So we did it. It was hard. It was, you know, it was a tough day, but we got through it. It was cold and you know, nobody had no problems. No movies went off and everything's fine. All right. Fast forward to about four days uh, after the unwrap, and I'm doing a spot check where I where uh, we check to make sure the maintenance that is scheduled has been performed. And I, pure randomness, I get assigned to do the spot check on the maintenance that was supposed to be done on the Mobies before that unwrap, before that that evolution. Uh, 10, I think it was 10% passed. 90% of my Mobies had bad batteries and wouldn't have worked if the sailor had went in the, in the water. And the way it goes, you have to check 100% of them before you do it. And if the battery, and it's a pretty simple check, you use a multimeter and you make sure the battery's good and you test them, you know? And they had taken credit for the having done the maintenance and they hadn't done it. And more importantly, they wouldn't have worked because the batteries were dead. So, I lost my mind and uh, you know, to his credit, the, the boats and mate chief who was there at this, at the, at, at the check uh, could recognize he immediately called master chief, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, so, you know, master chief's on his way and I'm starting to say, do you, you know, do you understand? And we don't say we do things that we haven't done and we protect each other. And you let me put, you know, and I, you know, and, but of course, you know, it's tough to have this conversation with the 17 year old that, you know, that was supposed to do, you know, and then you're trying to have it with the thing. So this is an example of where, um, and Matt, you know, Matthew came in and uh, said, okay, I got it. Everybody leave. And I looked at him and I wasn't done. Right. You know, but from, you know, uh, I trusted master chief enough and he was able to, and so, uh, you know, they left and the door shut and I said, I'm not finished. And he says, I know you're going to, you're going to do it to me and then we'll figure out how to handle this. And so, you know, I unloaded on master chief and, you know, and he took it and then, you know, we, we addressed it from there. So that's just an example. That's a great sea story that, that speaks to a, the, the pressure and the decision-making that, a that a CO at sea has, and then it speaks to the, the, uh, the honor or the, uh, the experience of your master chief to step in there, defuse you and everyone else that tries to make sure, you know, 
no bridges are burned that can't be repaired. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's a team effort, right? And that's a, a great story. And, you know, it speaks to the idea of uh, uh, at the tactical level inspections, you know, you, 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 you can expect what you inspect. I think I've heard yeah. that adage before. Yeah, that's what they expect what you inspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, so exactly. And, you know, since, since you brought up that sea story, bring something to mind. I want to get a quick, your quick cut on this because I know some first responders that are moving into higher leadership roles probably struggle with the idea that they're going to have to either discipline someone or, or fire someone, right? This is something that usually is reserved for the, the very upper level and obviously a commanding officer you had to discipline folks once in a while. You probably had to fire folks once in a while. How did you sort of get your mind and around that and that aspect of the duty, that unpleasantness of that? Yeah, sure. So, all right. Well, first off, in the civilian world, and we'll we'll say that uh, first responder world doesn't fit there. Okay. So, I I personally I don't know what the technical term is, but I personally don't think of first responders as civilians. Um, We're paramilitary. So yeah. So in the civilian world, punishment has two theoretical uses, right? Um, retribution or, uh, or um, restoring, you know, I can't, I'm not, I'm blanking on the right word, but you know, uh, rehabilitation. So you're either rehabilitating or you're getting retribution reparation for the, for the misdeed, right? That's, that's the reason why we have discipline and punishment in the, in the civilian world. Uh, in our world of first responders in the military, that's not why we have it. We have it so that we maintain good order and discipline and readiness. And so I think if you frame your decisions as a leader around whether or not to discipline or terminate or things, you, you really have to make it focused on the unit the station or the ship or, or whatever the case may be. And if, you're, if, if your actions are, if you can tell yourself that your actions are being done to make the ship more combat ready or the station more, you know, more capable and prepared, you're, you're acting in the right way. If you're doing it because you know, it's my authority and it's my job to, to punish people, that's, that's the wrong mindset. That's a, a great segue into, um, I wanted to ask you, one of your duties I, that I didn't mention before is you've uh, served as a professor with Naval Academy. And I think one of the courses you, you taught or concentrated on was ethics and moral reasoning uh, for leadership. Uh, quickly, or just, you know, describe what's that course about and why do we need it? Because it sounds like- yeah. Well, I actually, I'm still, I'm, a, I'm an adjunct professor today. I taught this morning over at the Naval Academy. So, and they didn't teach it to us. We didn't take an ethics course when, when you and I were- we're, we're there 30 years ago. So uh, the, 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 the course centers on decision-making. That's the, the, the point of the course is to uh, equip the midshipmen as future Naval officers in the Navy or the Marine Corps to be better decision-makers because they're gonna be in places where they're impacting others' lives and they should know how to, to recognize that they're in a tough situation and, and uh, make a good decision. One of the quotes I liked about the course is well, a student, I don't know when, but there's a quote, it was on a slide today, where it said, 
when I came to the academy, I had a compass to make decisions, their, their moral perception, the way they were raised and such. But uh, this course has given me a map. And what we're really trying to do is give them, if it's a tough decision, it's either a test of integrity or a moral dilemma. I mean, easy decisions are easy by definition, right? You don't need, to, you don't need a course in ethics, but tough decisions, and there's lots of them in a military career, uh, you should understand what's going on and, and have a systematic approach to coming to your decision. So that's what we're teaching. Uh, we use, you know, we, we have uh, philosophy PhDs that teach the Monday class and they, they teach Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, and, you know, all the classics. Um, and, you know, we really, you know, pretty high theory level. And then on Wednesdays and Fridays or Tuesdays and Thursdays, senior military officers come in and relate the, that week's uh, fundamental material to, to case studies we've written and to see stories we can tell and, and try and uh, teach the midshipmen these, these lessons and how to make good decisions. I think that's the core of the matter for a, for a leader is making these decisions. You know, I've heard the adage, uh, mission first, people always, which seems like it's contradictory. And, and that's that's the, the gist of it. We you know we just went through one that made huge press with the uh, the aircraft carrier and the COVID situation. I, that, that commanding officer was in a real tough situation. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be case studies around that. We've uh, you had one, you know, even that you just described to us. Do you do you go risky risking folks uh, well-being to, to get fuel or do you not? And or these things happen every day. This is why you get paid the big bucks as a leader, because, uh, yeah, if, if they were easy decisions about like whether or not to replace the toilet paper, that's a, that's an easy one, <laughs> but, uh, sometimes they're not so easy. So, uh, it's a great course. I would love to dive deeper into that particular topic. Maybe we'll be able to have you back to, to work with this group uh, later on. Sure. I, you know, we're, we're dialing in on the end. I told you I'd keep you for about a half hour. Um, I like to always ask senior leaders, look back, Look back at yourself at Ensign and Lieutenant J.G. Dicey um, from your vantage point now. And what advice would you would you give that young officer? What, or what did you do well? What might you like to have a do over for? Hmm. All right. Well, I'll answer the what did I do well uh, first? I cared. I cared every day and it was important to me and I believed in what we were doing and you know, I'm the son, as you mentioned, I'm the son of a surface warfare officer. And, you know, he set an example for me and I, I had great leadership uh, for the most part, not always, but you learn from the others too. Uh, so I cared and I had a sense of purpose. So that's what I did well. Um, what I would say to Lieutenant J.G. Dicey, that's easy. I tell me to slow down, take a breath relax, um, things happen and just, just breathe dicey, you know, just, just take a, take a breath and relax and don't be in such a rush all the time. That's a, a tough one, right? For a young hard charger, you're, you're an, almost uh, anxious by nature to, to do things that are great or to make great things happen. Or, you know, especially in today's, it seems like the actual life continues to accelerate so to to stop and have uh patience and introspection is uh becoming perhaps more difficult than ever so that's good advice uh, uh i 
appreciate you coming on today. You know, it's a, we could, uh, we could talk for a long time, but we've learned a lot uh, just in our short conversation. Uh, I certainly appreciate your, your lifelong service and uh, you continue to serve teaching. And I, I think you're working from what I read on your biography. We didn't get into this, but on the civilian side, you're working strategy for uh, still in the defense industry, helping, helping us maintain our readiness. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, most of all, and, I, and again, this was a new information to me that, that you had this connection here to our local community. So thanks for the, uh, the, the compassion and service that your family showed in coming back when Wesley Chapel endured that loss. So that, that's, a, that's significant to, to uh, move your family here to support your, your own family and, and to go through that. So uh, thanks for that as well. We will uh, any, uh, look forward to maybe getting you back, uh, coming on a Zoom call with the class. And, and uh, we, we actually have a class on ethics. So I'd love to have you come and either teach that or sit in with us and just uh, tell us some, some of your thoughts. I'd love to do it. Well, and with that, uh, I will send you on your way. Thank you very much for your time, Captain, and we'll talk yeah. to you again soon. For those yeah, of you who have great advice here, take it to heart. Yeah. Th th thank you to your, you and your students and, and serving your community. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal, and I, and I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you for what you do. All right. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. Bye.